Episode 58, Chris Hutchinson. Welcome to Gut Plus Science. Analytics about people. Insights for executives. Truth you can act on. A high-energy, fast-paced, results-oriented exchange featuring employee engagement evangelist and CEO, your host, Nikki Llewellyn. Hey, it's Nikki, and we're back on Gut Plus Science. So how many times have we heard guests suggest listening better or listening more? 50% of the episodes, probably. Today, we're going to talk about the power of listening and how when we listen well to our people, the ripple effect happens, and we model behaviors that become cultures on our teams. So the better listeners we are, the better listeners we're going to have on our teams. Another example, if we push ourselves to get uncomfortable, which is kind of the lifeblood of growth, our team members probably do too. And if we don't as leaders, we probably don't have much of that happening on our team. So we've got Chris Hutchinson, CEO of Trebuchet Group on with us today. Chris likes to talk about the leadership ripple effect. He lives what he teaches, building highly engaged teams with awesome leadership. Let's pick his brain. Let's talk about healthy teams today. So teams that are set up for success. As we know, you know, we can try to implement all the strategies, programs, softwares in the world, but they can't stick if our people, our employees aren't healthy. So let's start by talking about teams with characteristics of unhealthy first, and then we'll dive into the healthy ones. So Chris, what are the symptoms of unhealthy teams? Well, Nikki, that's an awesome question. And I think that's what a lot of people experience. And then they sort of think, well, that's just the way it is and live with it. A lot of unhealthy teams are one where you might have superstars sitting next to each other, but they won't work together. They're not looking at something bigger than themselves. So because of that, they're reluctant to trust others. We don't really talk about what's important in the meetings. It happens afterwards or in little onesie twosie meetings or worse yet, things get thrown up to the leader and then the leaders like the referee trying to figure out how do I get these people to work together? Because of that, they're the sole arbiters of accountability. They're the only people that people listen to about whether they're doing the right thing or not. And so we just get bad results or at least not as good as they could be. And what do you think, you know, you work inside a lot of companies with leadership teams and you're working alongside building engaged employee teams and all of this. What are some of those examples that you see a lot, like actual stories or things that you see that are unhealthy? You know, the number of stories are kind of crazy. I think that what I see a lot is people who, again, it's that, so they hire somebody and you come in, they come in as a job. And for instance, this one gentleman is a CFO. And so that's his job. He doesn't see himself. I'm an agent of this company dedicated to the mission. And oh, by the way, my responsibility is to manage finances to enable work. They say my job is to be CFO. And what I'm supposed to do is, is basically say no, limit any expenditures and make sure that I get the lion's share of the credit for it. And so that sort of thing that actually can people get promoted up because they're competent and they're excited. It's not that he's trying to like make things bad. They just think of their job differently than I think what works with a healthy team. So I, I, one quick story, working with this one company, they had a failed buy-in offer. And so we were going around the room trying to figure out what are we going to do to make the company look good and be effective to be bought again. Went around the room, everybody in the room at the senior level meeting, three days long, talking about what they see as the strengths and weaknesses of the company. And they were looking at the projections. Got around the projections. This is the CFO. The CFO is looking at the projections that the team has put together, and he says, no comment. Now, I sat there, and I'm like, uh, Pete, 
I get that you have the right to say no comment, but as the CFO, not commenting on the projections for the company to see if it's going to get sold or not, which you're going to play a primary part in, probably people's stories in their heads are worse than what you're thinking. So how about you let us know what you're thinking? And he got kind of frustrated. He goes, well, you know, we always have these hockey stick projections, but we never meet them. Okay, that's valid. You know, that's, you know, good concern. Let's talk about that. Meanwhile, the team kept going and going and he got quieter and quieter and redder and redder. You know, just, you could tell he was upset. I was like, okay, something's going to happen here. We're just about to break. Pete stands up and he kind of takes his finger and he sort of strokes his chin. He goes, you know, I've been sitting here doing a lot of observing and a lot of thinking. And then he puts his hand out and he points at everybody in the room and sweeps his arm and goes, the problem we have here is all you people aren't giving us enough teamwork. So that's, to me, a classic of it's so easy to get caught up in our own function and our role and see the problem as somebody else when it really teamwork is figuring out how do we do this together. Not pointing the finger. Hey, we're in this together. You know, I was just thinking as you were talking and and I was kind of reflecting on this question myself, you know, some of these organizations I walk into, they're like super quiet, like pin drop. No (laughs) one's talking. I'm like, where is the energy here? Let alone, you know, meetings where you've got a leader and a team of eight and the only person talking is the leader. And then for God's sake, I've seen it where these leaders yell, like they're yelling, like goals aren't being met. And so they're in a meeting with these eight people that aren't speaking up and then they're yelling about it. I'm like, okay, well, this is absolutely a disaster. So um, let's kind of go down this path of, I want to talk with you about what a healthy team looks like. What are those characteristics um, of the healthy teams? But then we're going to switch to understanding if you're in an unhealthy team environment, how do you even start? Where do you start to even get the trust, the buy-in to make the change? So let's just start by having you identify the healthy team. What does that look like, feel like? Well, the healthy teams, and if everybody has ever been on one, it's almost an addiction, at least for me. Like when I was on a healthy team and it worked well, people stepped up to whatever was needed. They crossed boundaries. They looked at other people's limitations and said, you know, I have a strength here. You have a limitation. Let me help you out. People were willing to raise the flag and say, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm having a challenge here rather than let me solve it, you know, and then you know, wait until I can't solve it and then bring it to the team when it's, we can't avoid failure. You know, so early on detection and people really helping each other be bigger than themselves. You know, that synergy thing. Like if I say, wow, your idea is better than mine, Nikki. That, well, let's go with that. Or, hey, I was wrong about this. Or I need some help here. Then we can get better. So as a foundation, if you don't have that, it doesn't matter how brilliant you are. We're not going to get to a place where we can be additive to each other. So I think, and, and that, that conflict thing you're talking about, and I'm, and I'm bouncing off a lot of things that uh, Pat Lencioni does on the five dysfunctions of a team, because that model is just so solid. And we use it as a foundational piece of the work we do with teams. Healthy conflict means that I'm willing to step into danger and I'm willing to be uncomfortable about maybe talks, talking about my function. You know, if, if I bristle every time anybody talks about sales, we're not going to get better. So what happens is people learn to like, well, I'm not going to bring that up because it's not going to work. And so we have this, it looks like we're okay, false harmony, kind of like um, my extended family's Thanksgiving dinner. I'd love my dad. And afterwards, he goes, we have such a great family. And I thought, yeah, because we talked about nothing substantial. You know, we just talked about surfacey weather, gardening, kids stuff. So we didn't have to talk about anything big because we knew we weren't going to have a comfortable meeting, a comfortable eating meeting, right? But getting uncomfortable is actually vital to organizations getting healthy. And we're going to talk more about that for sure. On the flip side, you know, what I see many times is, um, you know, when you've got a healthy team, people are talking, they're, you know, 
everyone around the room is talking. This is a meeting where everyone has ideas and they feel psychologically safe that they can speak up and people honor what they have to say, whether they agree or not. You, you know, as a leader, why those team members are there and what motivates them. I mean, we're human beings. We're the most complex thing on the planet. And so to understand why John or why Sally is there and really tapping into what makes them come alive, I think is very healthy. And then ultimately, you know, the capacity and role clarity that people have versus the opposite, like if they're completely overwhelmed or they're bored, you know, that, that just sets up for just such an unhealthy dynamic. And so there's just a few that I was thinking about. I think we're going down the right path here to really um, give some clarity. Let's start to talk about, you said getting uncomfortable is one of the the greatest things you can do, but I think most of us don't know how to do that. So you say that someone's listening right now, many people listening, they've got some unhealthy team dynamics. Where do you start with getting unhealthy to rebuild? So there's two places that I think are really helpful to go. One is to talk about how you are feeling or what's happening for you Go ahead. The way to pour gasoline on the fire is to say, well, you are X or, you know, you're doing that. Stop kind of thing, because, you know, don't feel that way. That's a great way to just incinerate a meeting. Instead saying, hey, I'm struggling here. Uh, I'm, I even had a, a meeting once where uh, we had a norm that said we were going to avoid distractions. And and uh, this at one point, the CEO actually raised his hand and said, oh, my God, I am so tempted to check my email right now. What? we need to focus. You know, I'm having a hard time here. How can you help me? So it's asking for help. Most people will respond pretty well with that versus the poke in the, you know, in the eye. That's one part of it. The other part is ask, looking at the bigger thing. So if, we, if it's, and I literally do this, like if we sat across from a table from each other, like in a desk or something, and we're talking, the likelihood of you and me getting into me versus you goes way up. If you I and I are instead standing shoulder to shoulder, looking at a dry race board with some facts on it and some thoughts. And we're like, God, Nikki, what's happening there? Versus I'm looking at you like, Nikki, what's happening? Which way are you going to feel more a colleague? It's because you're looking at the bigger picture. So asking questions about how does this fit with our big goal? And I'm, I'm struggling to understand what we're trying to achieve. It's not saying that we're the meetings hosed. It might be that I'm the canary in the coal mine willing to speak up. But I'm again, I'm not poking at somebody saying, you're wrong. It's bad. I don't like it. It's saying, help me understand how I can serve the mission. And there's almost nobody that will say, Should sit down and shut up. Because they're like, oh, well, that's a good point. We, what are we working on? Or what is there something that's bigger than all of us that might cause us all to get uncomfortable because it's worth it? Absolutely. What comes to mind as kind of checklist items for a leader that's listening right now to do some self-reflection on their healthy or unhealthy behaviors? Like, am I this? Am I that? Yes. What do you, what comes to mind? Beautiful. Well, first one, and you hinted at it, how much are you talking versus listening? You know, ideally a leader should be doing a heck of a lot of listening. The second piece is when you're interjecting, is it to prove a point is it to bring somebody else into the, or the conversation? Also, how clear is it that of what we're trying to do? And it literally can help to go write it on the dry race board. Like I had teams that had a com had a, a, a net, again a conflict norm or a meeting norm that said before we have big decisions, no matter who's making it, we're going to write it down on the board. And I went 30 days later to this team and said, how's that working? And they were like, nah, we're not doing it so well. I said, well, cross it out. And they went, no, no, we're going to dedicate ourselves to it. The leader called me the next day when I got back and said, you're not going to believe this. We had this very intense discussion, lots of conflict. It was perfect and beautiful. And then I was like, okay, we're moving on. 
And there was a little voice in the back that said, didn't we say we were going to write it down? And he thought, this is an effing waste of time, he actually told me. And, but, you know, okay, fine, we agreed to it. He was pissed and he wrote it up on the board and more than half the people said, that's not what I, I just agreed to. So it's just so important to have that clarity of what are we trying to decide, how are we involving people, and what is a leader I'm doing to make that happen? If you could think of the greatest leader that you know live, like maybe not a celebrity so much, but someone live that you work alongside or you've worked with, describe that person. Just describe how do they you know, engage in the office? How do they run a meeting? Just illustrate that person for us. And, and it's probably going to fly in the face of some people's pictures in their heads of the ideal leader who's maybe taking charge and shouting commands and things. This gentleman, is, he opens the meetings with a connection like, where are we? How are things going for you in your life? And, you know, some people for a while were like, oh, come on, this is business. But, you know, there's things that happen when cats die or moms are in hospitals. And it's important for people to know. I think in that meeting, they, they start knowing it's psychologically safe and they're they're human there. They can be themselves. So that's the first thing. The second thing when he's running a meeting is to talk about, well, what are the outcomes and how do people see those and let them prioritize what those are? So here's the five things that we have on our agenda or we've come up. What do we think the priorities are? So everybody's weighing in. It's not like, God, I think this is the most important thing, but it's fifth. You know, we have a short discussion. And then really, as we go around He's doing a lot of listening as the issues come up. And he, again, he asks those questions like, well, so what do you mean by that? And help me understand a little bit more. And I think I get you. Um, could you help me a, a little bit? And so it's a very humble, honest, n- not staged. I mean, he's empathetic and cares about both the company and the organization and the people that are in it. And it shows up. So people just, they show up in a great way. And then as we come to commitments, he asks for a commitment. Says how how are we gonna you know what's our commitment level to this? Not just yep nobody said no so I guess we're good you know really asking people and what would we need for commitment? And uh, I think one of the other things that I've heard him do is when somebody who's struggling with commitment a bit it says well uh, what's your plan to get more committed? Not what am I going to do as a leader to magnanimously help you get committed? But it's like what's your plan to get committed and how can we support you in that? It's different from you know hey, buddy, get committed, or tell me you're committed even if you're not. So really trying to get people to, to show up in their full authentic self, because he does, and look for the bigger picture and how do we play a part in it. I love all of that. There's lots of, lots of other things and we honors people and asks questions to help bring out their best. And I could go on and on. He really is just so deeply authentic and real about how he cares as a steward of this company. You, you can't not pick it up. So great. And as you were talking, I was thinking of just people that directly illustrate this, like their names and their faces coming to mind. And it's unfortunately, it's pretty rare to have that. And I think everybody wants to be that. And really what this show is about is breaking it down and giving those examples because it's a lot easier to say than do and helping to illustrate what to do to get there. And so just a couple of things that you, sh- you shared that made me think, I, I really want to hit home on how important it is to build relationships with the people that you work with, understanding what they do outside of work and what's going on. So you talked about a, you know, a pet issue or a family mother issue or whatever, and knowing that and, and building relationships first. And that's where trust is going to come into play in a big way. I can't tell you how many times I've talked with leaders and I just say, so how many kids do they have? 
They don't know. And it's like, that's what we do with our one-on-one time. Let's build relationships. The other half is let's get stuff done. But the the big part is building relationships. The other is, I love that you talked about, and so many people on the show have talked about, listen, spend time listening, talk a lot less. And I really transition that into learn how to be a coach to your people. So rather than telling them what to do and being an advisor, be a coach and ask the questions and say, well, what do you think you could do differently in this? Let's talk about three options. Let's come up with three options and then let's walk through all of those, you know? And so adopting that coaching, you know, mentality as a leader of any level. So let's go into talking about leaders at all levels. So now like mid-level managers, Amplify data consistently shows that challenges come up in that data point of, of understanding how managers are driving down engagement scores. It, it's just universally there a lot. First of all, I want to ask you, why do you think that that is? Why is it such a big problem? I think the challenge is that frequently the middle managers are sort of between this idealistic vision and people who don't necessarily have to get their feet on the ground in larger companies. And it's it's not intentional, but what happens is they can imagine, well, you've done that really well before, do it again when they don't realize the engine's at redline. And so that the manager's going, wait a minute, my people are totally maxed. If we do any more, the engine will self-destruct. We're going to lose people. Things are going to happen. And the leader looks at him and says, come on, every time we've asked for it before, you've done it. So I'm counting on you. And, and that can cause people, I think when stress occurs, it's frequently because there is a scarcity. Scarcity mindset, or there's a scarcity of people, or there's something when you look at it and you're like, I can't figure out how to turn this up anymore. And so I might default personally as a leader to my worst behaviors, you know, like, well, how was I parented? I got yelled at when I, things went badly. Okay, stress is happening. You need to know this is important. I'm going to yell at you. And we don't even know we're doing it. I mean, we're all programmed by our authority figures for quite a while. Or, you know what? When stress hits, I, I'll have the right answer because that's what you do in school. The person who has the right answer is the winner. So I'll tell you the right answer. So there's a lot of fallback default behavior if we're not careful or we don't understand ourselves and what our strengths are and our limitations. We can unconsciously just like squirt that all over everybody. And that doesn't help. Let me put you on the spot for a minute. So what are the top three things you would suggest to a CEO or an HR leader who is struggling to prioritize how to build managers and drive engagement? Oh my God. Just that question itself is so, it's in a way foreign because frequently we'll have the, the, the list of all the things to do. And I say, oh yeah. And, and what about developing the organization? They're like, oh yeah, sure. We do that too. They're so focused on the outcome. The first thing I think would be to share that information with those managers in a hopefully a safe place. We're not like a blame game, but something where we have everybody around. Look, this is, this is what we're seeing. It's going to limit us getting to this goal that we're trying to get, uh, this company that we're trying to do. And so we, I want to know a little bit more about what could be getting in the way, where are you struggling, not what can you do to help. That's way too high of a, that's a prescription, right? They're still in the diagnosis phase. So get the diagnosis first of what could be happening here. You might have to say, hey, this is a safe space. Uh, We do one thing sometimes where we go, what's working well, what's not working yet, and what's missing or unclear and have people write on little stickies. So there's anonymity to it, put them on the wall, clump them together, and people can start saying, okay, we are doing some things well, where are the breakdowns occurring? And that's a safe way to get people's input without having them have to raise their hand and say something uncomfortable. So that's the first thing. And then the next thing, well, the next thing is going to be really looking at those things and saying, okay, so what's the first thing that we could do where we'd start seeing some results? So um, we call it ooching. 
It's out of a, a book, one of the Heath brothers' books, where the smallest amount of, of effort that we can do that actually gets us a measurable result so we can see we're on the right track or not, rather than this big grand plan, let's try little things and see, you know, and going into it, we say, here's the result we expect. Here's what we don't want. Let's go try that and little prototype and then see, did that work? Great. Let's rev that. If we need to do something else, let's go to something else. So it, it's a sort of an experimentation, almost an agile perspective of how do we meet those in a sense, customer needs out there and keep doing that. And I think if that's communicated well and people see movement, they will start feeling more optimistic about how they should engage. All right. Good point there, Chris, as well. Any, anything else you think can wrap that up with the mid-level managers and what to do first? Well, I think connecting back to what we said earlier is around getting keeping the eye on the prize. So what's the big picture? What are we doing this for? And reiterating it over and over, making sure that there's in front of everybody, you know, it's easy to get your head down at the instruments and we need to look through the windshield. Where are we going? Look what we're doing. Here's what's next. Here's what's next. And we're so saturated with information. It takes many more touches before it really sinks into the subconscious. People think, well, I've told them once in six months, we should know the vision. We're good. You know, or if they're in a project and a management project, they're like, we've been working on this for six months. Why do I have to tell people where we're going? It's reminding them of what's important. And I think you're doing that consistently, then hopefully also connects to the motivators that they have about that. You know, what, why? Because that motivation of like why they're here, the purpose behind this and how it connects to them as a person, if you can make those connections, even as a mid-level manager, you can get people to step up in a big way. I can't agree more on the whole reiterating and reminding where we're going because as leaders, a lot of times we spend time, you know, at the boardroom table, planning out this implementation of what we're going to do to roll out for our mid-level managers, let's say. So we've been thinking about it and doing it for a really long time. Well, they hear it for the first time and we think we communicate it really clearly. And then it's like, we forget to check in. We have to probably say it 10 more times than what we thought we should have. Just keep reiterating, keep checking back. I think that is such a great point. Okay, Chris, this show is all about employee engagement. As you know, that's what Gut Plus Science is all about. So what what's employee engagement to you? I think employee engagement is a deep connection between what motivates me and what we're doing together and, and what I get from this. It's, it's hopefully a sense of purpose and a connection. I, I am surprised by the number of leaders that come to, and they probably do to you too. I'm guessing they say, hey, what motivates our people? You know, how can we motivate them? And I look at them and say, well, how are they motivated? And they just have this blank stare. Like, I have no idea. Like, well, go to their desk and look, are there pictures of family on there? What do they do in their spare time when they're not paid? You know, how do you actually understand how to connect those things? When you can tap the full person, because what you're doing and what they have to offer meet really well, there's going to be high level of engagement and high level of mission accomplishment. Couldn't agree more. What do you think the best companies do to drive employee engagement examples? I think the best companies are ones that actually help develop the people and then also give them uh, situations where they're expected to work together well. There's a lot of companies I know, fairly large companies, they think to build great teams, I do that by building great leaders. That's not necessarily true. If somebody's just a great leader individually and you have five of them in a room, that doesn't make a team. So helping people understand how to take information like from Amplify. How do we do this? How do we get better? Gosh, it's not a secret anymore that we're not as happy as we'd like to. How can we make that something bigger? That's a big deal. I think that can make a big difference. Absolutely. When I think employee engagement, my visual is someone who's fired up. And so Chris, I'd love to ask you, I know that you love your work. What fires you up most? What fires me up most is when people take the work that we've been doing and just leapfrog off of it. 
I mean, it's it's something where I watch, and that's almost a little test question. If if people say, yeah, it's when when I help them realize something or help open a door that's been there all the time, and people run through it, they're so excited and they keep on going and getting better. That really excites me because I know that not only have we helped them through whatever you know road bump they've been going through, but they're going to continue to have that skill or that tool and apply it from here on out. The other cool thing about that for us, and it's like a, a delayed gratification, is they usually at some point will then also say, they'll circle back and say, we're seeing some new challenges here. We're trying to figure out how to, how to tackle this together. We know you helped us figure it out last time. Can you help us figure it out this time? And that's just, it's so satisfying because we're not, there's not a dependency, but there's a great partnership. And that's, I think, what good leaders can do. It's not like you're dependent on me for an answer. We partner so you're better. And so am I. Good stuff. Thanks, Chris. This was just awesome today. As per usual on Gut Plus Science, we find the cream of the crop around the world to talk to you, and you're one of them. So thanks for that. Uh, let's take a quick oh, break and hear from our sponsor message today. We're going to come right back and hear and learn a little bit more about the personal side of you, Chris, on what we call our lightning round. We'll be right back. Are you still using Pulse surveys? How about annual questionnaires? If your organization relies on either of these, it's time to discover Amplify. Amplify has created a new way to measure employee engagement. It's where CEOs who want to know what's really happening within a workforce go to get honest feedback and to understand what needs to change for people to love their work. Companies that have used Amplify have increased productivity by as much as 30% in just three months. Best of all, it's not just data that Amplify provides. Executives get hands-on coaching with engagement specialists, people who know exactly what to do with the data. To see their latest research on employee engagement, visit Amplify.com. All right. So we're back on Gut Plus Science. And Chris, I've got a couple of questions to put you on the spot and hopefully great resources for our listeners. So how about your favorite book or book of the week or just one you'd recommend to our listeners today? Well, anything from Pat Lindsay is fantastic. But the book of the week right now, and I'm only partway through it, is No Ego by Cy Wakeman. And there's some just really interesting things, even about engagement, saying, you know, engaging employees who want to be in the past is maybe not the best thing. And it's engaging those employees who are really looking to help create the organization of the future is where leaders can focus their energy. So a little, little interesting. And I'm still working through that. So that's going to be cool. I have that on Audible. I have not listened yet, but I'm really excited to move it to the top. So awesome. Um, how about a favorite vacation spot? Um, there's a spot in the mountains near here. I live in Fort Collins, Colorado, and it's up in the Rockies that my family's had since the 60s. And I actually, with my wife, built a tree house that you can sleep overnight in. That's pretty cool. So it's just neat to go back there, sort of have that pull and tug to childhood, hearing the whispering wind through the pines and uh, feel like, you know what, I'm small, the world is big, and it's okay. Okay. Well, if you have that thing listed on Airbnb, please send me the link because that sounds awesome. <laughs> okay. How about a favorite hobby when you're not working? Well, this is actually a lot of times I tell leaders that they need to have a hobby. If they're doers, they need to have a hobby that's doing because um, doing in the business when it's not helpful is not helpful. My hobby is gardening. So I've got some chickens. Um, sometimes I keep bees and uh, you know, in fact, I just set out a whole bunch of tomatoes. We got hailed really hard, but I had some spares. And just seeing that sort of slow growth, it also helps me to slow down because you can't, you know, stick the tomato in there in September, put some heat lamps on and expect to harvest in October. You know, you've got to do it early on. So it reminds me of the need for slow investment and growth over time. Good stuff. How can our listeners connect with you after the show today, Chris? Well, um, our website is trebuchetgroup.com. I've also got um, my books available on rippleleader.com. So you can see that there. 
And we have all sorts of, you know, we're in uh, LinkedIn and also in Twitter under the Ripple Leader. Okay, cool. And we'll have that in the show notes for you guys to be able to find Trebuchet Group and uh, find Chris on LinkedIn and connect with him. You know, I was talking to our team and I think I appreciate your spirit of generosity, Nikki, and I, I'm sure your lead, leaders that listen and are engaging others think of that too. So we're going to put together a special offer where if you want to buy one of our leadership books and give one to another person, we'll, that give will be a freebie. Nice. And so sort of a way to ripple out, the book's called Ripple, but ripple it out into the world and, and help leaders who you know, could use a little tune-up on their own leadership, starting with themselves. Love it. Thank you, Chris. All right. Thanks so much, Chris. Awesome episode as always here on Gut Plus Science. And we're going to talk about the truth you can act on. So we've got three takeaways on this uh, episode today or main ones. There's probably many things outside of these, but here's mine. Number one, healthy teams. You may have superstars sitting next to each other, but they don't work well together. Sound familiar? As a leader, don't be a referee. A healthy team consists of people helping each other bigger than themselves and really coaching those individual team members to bond and develop healthy relationships with team members. Number two, get uncomfortable. Yes, you heard it right. As Chris says, getting uncomfortable is vital to your organization. So asking the question to yourself, did you do this today or have you done that this week? Getting uncomfortable, hold yourself accountable to checking in on that regularly. Your people won't grow if you don't. And remember the ripple effect is alive and true. The more we do that as leaders, the more we're going to see it in our people. And number three, the ideal leader, an ideal leader, isn't someone shouting orders. It's someone who's listening. There's the key thing. So we've heard it so many times listening. It'll come up. And today we really honed in on it and how important it is. Try starting your one-on-one meetings by asking your people how they're doing as a human, what's going on, building a relationship with them and just listen. We'll see you next time on Gut Plus Science. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.